The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter number 9. Please forgive me in the bulletin. I must have had a sleepy moment during the week. Um, You will not find King David in the book of Daniel. It is not David's prayer, but Daniel's prayer for his people in Daniel 9. And today we'll be looking at verse number 3 through verse number 14. The actual entire prayer goes from verse number 3 all the way down to verse number 19 and verse 15 and verse number 17 mark transitions and transitions in the text. You'll notice that from now it says, and now, in verse number 17, so now. And so, verse 15 on kind of moves into uh, petition and the glory of God and the seeking for His blessing. And we are in the middle of a small little series on prayer. And so, last week we discussed... Um, spoke about the idea from Hannah's prayer that praise is a part of prayer, our prayer life. And today, we want to speak about the idea and the concept here that confession of sin is a necessary and a vital part to our prayer life. And so, if we don't have a confession of sin going on uh, on some sort of semi-regular basis, then we are letting those things store up or we are having uh, egotism and a pride that says we don't have any problems in our hearts. But I want to assure you, every person under the sound of my voice today, including yours truly, uh, sinned enough this week that we certainly need to come today in confession to the Lord. Not only adoration and praise of Him, but confession of our sins. Uh, before the Lord. And so let me read verse number 3 through verse number 14. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer, and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God, and I confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments, We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and our people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O God, Lord, But to us, open shame as it is this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all of the countries to which you have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings and our princes and our fathers, because we have sinned against You. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His teachings with which He set before us through His servant the prophets." 
Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against Him. Thus He has confirmed His words which He had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done in Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to Your truth." Therefore, Lord, the Lord has kept this calamity in store and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all His deeds which He has done, but we have not obeyed His voice. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Our Father, we now come to You and we open Your Word. We pray in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ, and through the Spirit of God, that You would help us today to be touched, to be pricked in our heart, to be convicted of our sin, of our wickedness, of our iniquity, of our shame. And Lord, I pray that You would convict us so much so that we would do something about it, that we would repent of it, we would confess it, that we would come to You today, Lord, and give our sins over to You. I pray for those who are lost and undone without Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that You would hear their cry and meet them where they are, that they would cast themselves on to the merciful loving Lord and Savior Jesus who died and rose again, that they would find new life and a new heart and forgiveness of sin. And Lord, I pray for every believer under the sound of my voice today in this room, every believer in this church, that our hearts would be convicted to confess the sins of our hearts and minds and souls. And then, Lord, I not only pray for us as a church, but I pray for our nation. I think of what's going on in Charlottesville. And Father, I pray for every single human being who has the deep wickedness and evil of racism coursing through the veins of their life. I pray that You would smite them by the Spirit of God until they turn to Jesus Christ and repent from their wickedness and love You and love others as themselves. Our Father, I pray that our church would be a shining light in our community, not only of the goodness and mercy of Christ at the cross, but that the Lord Jesus tumbles down all boundaries and that He allows us to do what we could not do in ourselves, to love other human beings with the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus, not seeing the color of their skin, not even judging on the content of their character, but seeing the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross for my wicked self. And as a forgiven believer, treating every other person with the mercy and the kindness of Jesus. I pray, Lord, in this heavy moment of this sermon and this text, that we would plumb the depths of the heaviness but that we would not stop until we come to the foot of the cross 
And we, as Pilgrim did, lay our burden down, knowing that Jesus has died for all of the sin and all of the shame of all who would believe, and that we would be a different congregation today when we leave than when we came. And we will thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. The next few moments, difficult sermon for me to preach. Last week was more of a fun sermon, uh, speaking about the adoration and the praise of Almighty God. But I want us to look into this text today, and I want you to know on the authority of the written Word, on the authority of the God of heaven, that we must have a season and a powerful confession of sin in our life. That is a part of our prayer life. We must be the kind of people who confess sin before the Lord. One of my favorite uh, kind of heroes in the Christian world is uh, Christmas Evans, right? And some of you are thinking, man, that's a, that's a great name. Christmas Evans was a Welsh revivalist back in 1904, and uh, he led a great, uh, a great revival through Wales, and he would preach the Word of God in these communities, and he would always start by preaching a sermon, and the very first point that Christmas Evans would make to every congregation was that all all secret sin must be confessed before the God of heaven. You need to take what is in the corridors and the closets and the back rooms of your life. You need to jerk that out in front of God. Lay it down at the cross. Seek the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of Jesus and live an honest and a right life confessing our sins before Him. And I would submit to you that the revival that swept over Wales in 1904 was largely due in part to the preaching and the response of God's people to confess their sins before an almighty God and to get right with Him. Amen? Read down with me in this text today. Slightly different. I'll not make a bunch of points. I simply will talk you through these verses and uh, make application as we go. Verse number 1 and 2 of chapter number 9 is background. The children of uh, Israel had been in bondage for some 486 years, I believe. This is four years before they are going to be released from their captivity. They thought that it was going to be 70 years, but no, God was saying it is 70 weeks of years, and so it turned into 490 years of persecution and a Captivity. And when Daniel prays this, they are now closing in on only four years left of this. And they don't know that, but Daniel begins to pray for the people of Israel and confess their sin and say, our hearts and our souls must be right with God. And I maybe might be jumping here to conclusions, but I simply bring that into our day and where Emmanuel Baptist Church is. And I think about what lies on the precipice and in the future for us and where God wants us to be and what God wants us to do and what our congregation might look like in the next 5 or 10 or 15 years. And I just wonder if maybe God is saying to us that we need to be the kind of people that today, now, this is the day that all of us, young and old and everyone in between, need to stop playing games with God, come to the serious point in our life where our prayer lives are giving confession of sin to God. 
That we are ready to move forward, not in playing church, not in playing religion, not in traditionalism, but in an open heart to the God of heaven that says, we have sinned and we need you. And if our congregation and our church is going to sit in this little booming area of the 27608, if we're going to make any difference in our area code for Christ and His kingdom, it must start with the church. Amen? Isn't that what the Bible says? Isn't that what Jesus said? Judgment must start at the house of the Lord. Picking up in verse number 3, read with me. So I gave my attention, Daniel says, to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplications. That is two words here. You don't want to kind of split those apart, but he's simply saying by prayer in general and then supplication is this deep-seated longing, petitioning and calling, reaching out. He said, I seek the Lord. I petition Him and I pray for Him. And what does the Bible say in Jeremiah? When you seek for me and search for me with all of your heart, you will find me. And look what he says. So I gave my attention, that is, every bit of my focus, my heart, my mind, my soul, my spirit, everything that I have, my whole being, I gave to the prayer and the supplication to Almighty God. And I want to ask us today, are you giving your full attention in your prayer life to confessing before God our sins, giving Him glory, and asking Him to rule and reign in your life? And then look what it says. With fasting... And with sackcloth and ash, well, certainly with fasting here, you understand what he means by that, without going with, going without sustenance, whether that be water, whether that be food, whether that be your cell phone, whether that be checking your email, whether that be Facebook and Twitter and all of your social media accounts, somewhere down the line, what this man is saying is, I was coming to God on behalf of the people with such attention, such a heavy heart, such petition and prayer that I was willing to give up all of the creature comforts of life to get God's attention. How are you doing with that? Look what he says. And with sackcloth and ash, it's just simply a sad way in the, in the tradition of Israel, they would oftentimes rip their clothes open and they would lay in these ash heaps and put it upon their body. And it was just a way to say, Lord, we are low down, dirty, rotten scoundrels and we need Jesus. Well, for them it would have been, we need the Messiah, Okay. It's kind of like saying to God, I'm lower than a snake's belly in a wagon rut. Lord, I need you. Adrian Rogers said one time that uh, he got on his knees to pray, but he didn't feel like he was low enough. So that he went, uh, he got on his face, didn't feel like he was low enough. He went out into his old baseball diamond field. He still didn't feel like he was low enough. So he dug a little hole in the clay on the baseball diamond and put his nose down into the dirt. God, I am not good enough. Do you have that kind of mentality, a humble, seeking attention toward God, confession that He is great and we are not? Look at the text, if you would. Verse number 4. Notice where confession begins, not where you'd think. He doesn't begin in verse number 4 by saying we're terrible. He begins with the glory and the splendor and how great God is. He says, he says in verse number 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed and this is what I confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, You are great and You are awesome and You keep Your covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments. He begins by praise 
Even our confession life in prayer should begin by praising God. You say, why? Because otherwise it just turns into navel-gazing, right? It just turns into a woe-is-me, self-mortification. But when we begin to confess our sins to God, it begins by saying, you are worthy and glorious and mighty and powerful. Do you know why? Because when you begin by giving God glory, it reminds you that all of your sin is but idolatry in the eyes of God. You see, if God really is great and awesome and loving and powerful and covenant-keeping, then who are we to sin against Him? Who are we to put anything in our life over and above God? And now look at the next verse. With God so paramount in your eyes, we have sinned. Let me just point out something before we and I won't take long. What's the first word in that verse? We. Daniel is God's servant. Daniel is the one who God protects in the, in the den of lions. Daniel is the one who goes to his house and prays with his windows open toward Jerusalem three times a day as his manner of life was. Daniel's not the problem, but what does a humble heart do? Daniel identifies with all of the rest of Israel and says, we've sinned. It's not pointing fingers. Well, she needs to get right with God. He needs to do that. If the children would just do that, and the youth would just do this, if my husband would do that, if my friends would do that, it is a collective coming together and saying, we have sinned. If you're in this room this morning, member or visitor, saved or lost, and you don't believe that you have sinned against God, you're fooling yourself. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have all gone astray. We've all gone our own way. We sin. And now you'll notice in this verse, verse number 5, for those of you that enjoy reading and studying, I, I don't want you to split hairs on these words, okay? There's five basic synonyms for sin in this, in this verse. And what the author here is doing, he's just stacking them one on top of another so that you feel really guilty. And you'll get that in verse number 7 and 9, that there should be shame and guilt there. But we'll come to the cross. Don't rush ahead of me. But the author in verse number 5 wants you to feel the weight of your wickedness. Look at what he says. We have sinned. Number two, we've committed iniquity. Number three, we've acted wickedly. All right, we got the point, right? No, and rebelled. I got it. We're terrible people. And turned aside from your commandments. You see that? Again and again and again. The author comes to you and he says, Hey, we have sinned. Brothers and sisters, in your prayer life this past week, if you didn't have one or maybe two, I don't know, maybe every day, but at least one time this last week where you just kind of got really serious and quiet before God and said, Lord, good night. I've got mud all over me. I say things that I shouldn't. I treat people the way that I should. I, I, I do things and go places and have thoughts and say things. 
God, this, this is wrong and, and it's hurting your heart. You're so glorious. Verse number four, you're so great. You're so marvelous. You're so wonderful. And I have sinned and I have iniquity and I have wickedness and I've turned aside and it, it's heaping up on me. If you haven't had a time like that in your, in your life this past week, I want to encourage you in your prayer life that part of your prayer life is confession. I put up earlier this week and I said, listen, if you pass by the weightiness and the shame and the guiltiness and and the weight of your sin in your prayer life, if you pass quickly by that, you'll continue in the same sins and you'll dishonor God. It's not a bad thing for you to spend a few minutes sinking into the realization that you're not perfect. And in fact, I got a sneaking suspicion for a church of 66 years like us that has young Christians and old Christians and everybody in between. I have a real sneaking suspicion that if some of you in here that you think you've been in church all your life and you think you're better than some of the other people in here, if you'd actually take 10 minutes to sink into how wicked you are, you'd stop judging the other people in this church. Sit in it. As Baptists, we're so quick to run to the glory and run to the cross and run to the forgiveness. And it is there and we will get there. Amen. That's the wonderful good news. But it's only good news if you recognize how bad news you already have. It's like that person that said, you know, if you're on a plane and somebody says, put this parachute on, you're like, no, the seat is already too skinny for a fat guy like me. I don't want to put a parachute on. Why would I do it? I'm perfectly safe. The engines are running. This is good. Why would I put your parachute on? But if the, if the windows blow out and the doors pop off and both engines quit and you get somebody to look up and see that you're heading toward the ground, I'll put that parachute on in a hurry, won't I? And some of you, the reason why you don't glory in the cross, the reason why tears don't come to your cheeks over the goodness and the mercy of Jesus at His death and resurrection is because you really don't think that you're a bad person. And I know there's be people here that you don't like this, but this is true. The gospel is for bad people. And, 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 and lest you think I made that up, there is a really smart, good man that lived a couple of thousand years ago. I'm pretty sure he was the Son of God. And he said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I didn't come for those who were whole. I came for sinners. See, church is made up of sinful people who confess and come to Christ and receive forgiveness. Look back down at the text if you would, and I'll just keep teaching for a few minutes. Verse number 6. Moreover, right, he's going to add to it. Thank you very much, Daniel. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Jesus said, a prophet is without honor even in his own hometown. Brothers and sisters, uh, it's not me. There's nothing special about me at all. 
But over and over again today in pulpits all around the world, there will be men uh, of uh, every, uh, every background, every ethnicity, and they will stand or they will sit or they will meet in a room and they will open up God's Word and they have spent all week praying and seeking for God's message for His people and they will tell you, this is the way to live, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. And the sin of our people is that we do not listen to the prophets of God. Until it's too late. Or until your wife walks out on you because you're a terrible husband. Or until your children turn their back on you. Listen to the Word. Listen to the preaching of the Word. And the Word for you today from the Bible is this. In your prayer life... Confess sin to God. Get alone with Him. Don't let, keep a short account. Don't let that stuff build up and build up and build up. And, and furthermore, don't just walk around saying, it's all covered under the blood. Yes, the cross is there, but you're making meaningless if you don't feel the weight of your own sinfulness. Praise God. Give God glory and honor and, and grace. But then look and see in your own life, I have sinned and fallen short. I have failed. I'm not following God this week. There are areas of my life that need fixing. And go to God and pour that out to Him. And He will make it right. Verse number 7. I, I push quickly now. Verse number 7. You'll notice the back and forth from verse 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Back and forth from our shame to God's glory and God's glory to our shame. Righteousness belongs to You, O Lord, but to us open shame as it is this day. To the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in the countries which You have driven to them, all of them. Verse number 8, open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings and our princes and our fathers, because we have sinned against You. In verse number 9, to the Lord our God belongs compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him. Do you see the back and forth here, maybe I can make it plainer for you. God is good and we are not. Right? God is glorious and we are sinners. God is righteous and we are full of shame. But aren't you glad that verse 9 is in there? Now let's make our way to the cross. Hey church, listen to me. I wanted you to feel that first part of the sermon because that's what the text wants you to feel. I want you to feel all of the sin of your life heaping up on your shoulders because when you come to verse number 9, it is leading us to the cross where Jesus dies for our sin and our shame. And you can roll all of that burden off on Him. You can experience His grace and His mercy. And if you're here today and you're lost, I'm telling you, just come to Jesus in your heart and ask Him to save you and forgive you. And He'll take away all that's ever happened and give you a new heart. And there's people in this room right here. And you have open, unconfessed sin in your life. And yet you're a believer. Go to Him right now. You don't have to wait. Go to Him right now. Say, Lord, I said that and I should have. Lord, I did that and I should have. Lord, that's, those are the thoughts that are in my mind. And they're not your thoughts. And I take them to Jesus. And look at what verse number 9 says. There's compassion and there's forgiveness with Him. Look at verse number 10. 
nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His teachings, which He has set before us through His servants, the prophets. Let me make a second point here today. I want you to confess your sins in your prayer life, but I also want you to remember that true confession is always attached to right living. So if you go to the Lord in prayer and tears and you confess a sin that's in your life, but you come right back to it and again and again and again and again, the, 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 probably the certainty is that on the confession side, it's not true. Brokenness leads to a change of life. Our brother over here, Jamie, read Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, David, he had committed sin with Bathsheba. He had sinned against God. He confesses that. He lays it out to God. And what does he do? He changes his life. He doesn't go back to the same sins. He turns from that. True confession is followed by true living. And look at verse number 13 and 14. We'll finish for today. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. How is it that we have right confession and how is it that we turn from that to right living? By giving attention to the truth of the Word of God. By picking the Bible up or turning it on on your screen and by every day or as often as we can reading the Scripture and praying to God and seeking by the power of the Holy Spirit to live a holy life. Confession. And do uh, I just want to finish this way. Um, let me just do an experiment. I had one or two ways I wanted to do this, but we're just family today. So, I set this up at the beginning just to say this. If you're visiting with us today, uh, oftentimes at the end of our services, we have a time of response, right? We call it, we have better names for it, we have altar call, response, whatever it may be. Uh, and really what it is, is we all stand, we sing together a little bit, and uh, these steps down here, uh, sometimes people will come and, and, and they will pray. And that's kind of what we do uh, here in the church. You don't have to do that. You can sit right where you are, stay right where you are, and you can talk with God silently right where you are. He'll hear you just as good where you are as you will hear. Now that being said, I, I just want to I see something for a minute. I don't want anybody to stand, but in your mind, I want you to think with me. If you're in the room today and you're a member of this church and you really believe that every time we preach, every time we have a service, we should have an altar call. In your mind, I want you to stand up. Don't stand up. Nobody stand. Nobody stand. In your mind, if you say, yes, it's the right thing to do. Every time we have a service, we should have an altar call so people can come down and pray. I want you to stand up right here. You with me? You got it? Don't nod. I don't want to look at who's there. Okay. You can sit back down. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to have us all stand for real and we're going to sing a song. And if you were the kind of person that stood up in your mind and said, oh yes, we ought to always have an altar call. I want to ask you this. Are you going to come? I was talking with a preacher in Florida this past week. He said, you know, some people in my church give me a really hard time 
about not having an altar call. And it wasn't him, it was him, it wasn't me. He said, you know who the people are that give me a hard time about not having an altar call? The people who would never come if I gave one. I just... <laughs> I certainly, we, we, we don't have it like that here. But I want, you, I want to play that experiment. I'm not trying to jerk you. I'm not trying to milk. Hey, listen, I stand down here every week. It doesn't matter to me whether you come or not. You can do business right where you are. I don't need that. But I'm just asking the church members right now. If a minute ago you stood up in your mind and said, absolutely, we ought to always have an altar call. Are you going to come? You say, well, I don't have anything to come. Oh, please don't do that. That's even worse. Of course you do. You're telling me in the last seven days you don't have enough sin in your life that you, you don't need to come and just kneel down and say, God, forgive me. I've had wrong thoughts and wrong attitudes and wrong motives. Even if you don't have any sin in your life, you don't have any way to come down and say, God, you're glorious. You're awesome. You're wonderful. You're saying that even if you didn't want to confess sin nor give adoration to God, you couldn't get up and walk down. If it's in your mind, if it's that important, that you wouldn't get up and walk down here and say, God, please, please save sinners that are in this place. Please save the sinners in my family. Please save the lost who are at my work. Please, God, build and work and bring unity to our church. Help us along the way. You say, I, I just simply make that for you. Not to pick on you, but to let all of us, including yours truly, be cut to the heart about what's tradition and where I'm really ready to give everything to God. What I'd like to see happen, or as Christmas Evans would want, what I'm willing to go pour down before God that I might see the mighty hand of God in my life and my family and my church. So that being said, would you stand with us for a moment? Maybe just talk with the Lord. We're going to sing a song together. We won't, uh, we won't draw it out, sing a couple verses. And brothers and sisters, you can do work in your heart right where you are. Or you can come down to the altar and do work here in your own heart and soul. Sing with us together and you do what the Lord tells you to do. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.